millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters. Topic of the week is page to screen, quickfire. Hey there, listeners. I'm Jem. And I'm Ria. And unfortunately, we don't have time to do the full range of page to screen episodes that we were planning on doing. So now we're just going to do them all in one go really quick. (laughs) Welcome to every single page to screen we ever intended to do. (laughs) And also kind of a... like a a sort of a cover over for what we would be talking about in the commentaries as well the film commentaries yes because we're not going to get a chance to finish those and release them the way that we wanted to so we just did the two film commentaries i guess before the end of the year we'll release the chamber of secrets one onto the main feed because at at the moment that was only released to our patrons so everyone can access that Mm -hmm. so you can have the um commentaries for the christopher columbus films but the rest of them (laughs) i guess not (laughs) sorry guys sorry we didn't get it (laughs) okay so I kind of separated my list of, we called these adaptation anomalies when we were doing our note-taking. Mm. I separated mine out into the bad changes, the good changes, things that were just weird and nonsensical, and then missed opportunities. Stuff that basically I wish had happened, or how I would have done it if I was directing Harry <laughs> Potter <laughs> Okay, so let's start with the bad. Okay, bad changes. They're kind of in order, but like, okay. not really. Uh, all the adults are the wrong age. Yeah, let's okay. Yeah. Well, the reason for that is they cast Alan Rickman first and had to age up everyone to match it. Yeah, because J.K. Rowling's obsessed with Alan Rickman. Next. Look, <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> I'm just gonna quick fire okay. answer these. <laughs> yeah, look, a lot of the bad changes we're gonna we can go through quite quickly because mm-hmm. we've talked about them at length. Yeah, uh, the Ravenclaw colors were changed. Just a quick shout out to the Ravenclaws. Yeah. Y'all were done dirty. The reason Sorry they that. did that is so it looked less like Gryffindor's colors. Whatever. That's a weird reason. <laughs> yeah, I've also heard that they thought silver was more neutral and would therefore have a more mass market appeal than bronze. Whatever. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> Who cares? Ginny's uh, bad. Harry and Ginny's relationship's bad. We talked about bronze this. bad. Yeah. Harmony agenda. Like, we've done whole episodes on these ones, so I'm not going to dwell on yeah. them. Dumbledore yelling at Harry and Goblet of Fire. <laughs> yeah, look, that's Michael Gambon. Um, he never read the books. <laughs> and I guess no one stopped King him. shit. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah, king shit. I guess, like, with that particular scene with the... And he's, like, screaming and running and grabbing Harry. I guess he yeah. just did that and no one thought it would be a bad idea. Or they just kept that take because they're like, yeah, it just worked the best for the, the moment. But, like... Whatever. It was just weird. I guess maybe so- they wanted to up the tension. Like, that's a big film and they need to really put it home to the audience that this is a big deal. So maybe they wanted to up the tension in the moment, but ugh, it's just a bad choice all around. Well, just in general movie Dumbledore has a lot more manic energy, I guess, than book yeah. Dumbledore. 
which is fine. Whatever. Sometimes things have to be more dramatic on screen because in page you're there feeling the emotions of the characters. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at them on a screen, they have to tell you their emotions. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It sucks. It was a bad choice. I don't really have anything more to add. Uh, Hermione's dress in Goblet of Fire. Okay. It wasn't uh, blue. All right. Stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Say what you want to say. I want to hear it. I actually have thoughts about like the whole scene and the way that it plays. Like, yeah, I think the dress should have just been blue, but like, why? I don't know because it was blue in the book. That's so not like, enough reason. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> because here's why it should have been pink. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is like my one hill I was gonna do. Remember how before we started recording, I'm like, there's like two things I really care about, and the rest of kind of this is one of them. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> okay. You came ready to fight. You came in swinging to this conversation. <laughs> Okay, let me just list off a couple of reasons why Hermione's dress needs to be pink. First Uh of all, from about the third film, when Alfonso Cuaron encouraged the actors to sort of be less in their uniforms and more in, like, costumes, Hermione Mm -hmm. has been wearing pink. Yeah, right. that makes sense. It's how how she's coded. Ron is in burgundies, browns, reds, oranges. Hermione is in pinks and warm tones. And Harry is in blue tones to match his eyes because Daniel Radcliffe has blue eyes. Yeah. So Hermione is constantly wearing pink all the time. And this continues throughout all the movies, by the way, not just in the third film. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason. That's her color. Second, (laughs) the Yule Ball scene, all of the Yule Ball decorations in the Great Hall are white and icy and blue. Yeah. Hermione needs to stand out. This is her moment. This is her Cinderella moment, Mm -hmm. right? Like if she were to be wearing a blue periwinkle dress, she would be blending into the background. Mm -hmm. We don't want that. She's not a wallflower right here. Three. Fleur Delacour and Cho Chang are both wearing silvery blue, purpley dresses. And so, again, she would fall into the background if she was next to these girls. She needs to be standing out. This is her moment. Yeah, also, like, all the Bow Batons (laughs) girls are in their blue uniforms as well. That was my fourth point, Bow Batons. On the same page. (laughs) (laughs) We're associating the blue colour with the Bow Batons uniforms. It wouldn't have meant that much if Hermione was in a pretty blue dress if all the Bow Batons girls are in blue dresses throughout the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Five. I don't want to get too simplistic with the whole pink is for girls, blue is for boys thing, but because this is meant to be Hermione's Cinderella moment and it's meant to be a moment in the books where Hermione is noticed as a girl. I hate to put it like that, but that's how it's framed in the books. That is how it's framed. Yeah. The decision to put her in pink is important for that decision because they're saying basically, yeah, Hermione's a girl. Look, oh, Hermione, you're a girl. Yeah. She has a feminine uh, romantic side that we in the books previously haven't seen those are my my top reasons why the the dress had to be pink and if if the only reason that you can give me is oh it's blue in the books and so it should be blue in the movies get your head out of your ass it's not a good reason (laughs) (laughs) look that's fair enough there's a lot of things that like i read in terms of bad changes in the harry potter movies that i'm like no that makes more sense for the movie Mm. it should have been that way that i've just chosen to ignore (laughs) like uh dumbledore being able to operate on school grounds like I don't need a scene where they go into, where they walk to Hogsmeade and get brooms and like, it's stupid. Like, whatever. Just get them out of the scene. They don't need to be in Hogwarts anymore. So they teleport somewhere else. It's fine. (laughs) I don't have big opinions on the dress. Like I would have liked if it was blue, but I understand the many reasons that you've just outlined (laughs) why it's better for it to not be blue. You've made a good comprehensive argument. Look, it's also a beautiful dress. I love what they did with the dress. It is gorgeous. Mm. I think... For me, the entire scene, you keep calling it Hermione's Cinderella moment, which it is. The whole scene doesn't work for me because Emma Watson is already too gorgeous. Which yeah, is of course. Stupid. But like, 
So in the books, Hermione's supposed to be very plain and kind of weird looking. Like she's got mm. these big buck teeth and the crazy hair and just like mm-hmm. bossy know-it-all energy. So when she shows up in this gorgeous outfit with her hair all styled and Harry, who sees her all day every day, is like, doesn't even recognize her. Like, it's this massive moment. Mm -hmm. But Emma Watson is not a dorky child. She's a movie star. (laughs) And all of her costuming and lighting and makeup, like, already makes her look effortlessly beautiful all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So when we see her with her hair tied up and some earrings on, like, it doesn't actually, there's no visual difference. She looks exactly (laughs) the same. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, though. I think they tried their best, right? Like, they had her tentatively walking into the spotlight. The descent down the stairs is a classic move. The music swells. Like, everyone's looking at her. Yeah, that's a classic movie. Like, this is a bimbo coming in. Like, let's all pay attention. This is in no way a criticism of Emma or her appearance or her acting choices. This is, I guess, like, about larger issues with the portrayal of women and girls on screen. Yeah, yeah. But Emma's gorgeous, and that was undeniable they're gonna cast someone gorgeous for this role of course like same with the boys the boys are far too attractive yeah (laughs) yeah yeah everyone's too attractive they should all be weird and (laughs) gawky yeah (laughs) but just like what i needed the scene to be was the scene in the princess diaries where the stylist comes in it's like oh shit that's anne hathaway (laughs) like i didn't see her under all that yeah i'm honestly more like I'm not even caught up by Hermione's dress. Everyone's always talking about Hermione's dress. I'm more annoyed that Harry didn't wear the bottle green robes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Harry's robes were just okay. And like, I guess that's fine. But like in the books are bottle green to match his eyes. I get why they couldn't do that because it might clash with Dan. Mm-hmm. But like maybe like a dark navy or a dark blue would have been nice. But then again, it would have faded into the background maybe. But Harry's moment isn't important. Like he's meant to be bumbling and awkward in this scene. Yeah. Oh, also another thing about the pink dress. It unconsciously matches the lace on Ron's perfect your ball outfit oh ron was great yeah ron's ron was the best dress for that ball <laughs> like he looked the best out of all of them but like yeah the unconscious costuming of like if if hermione and ron had gone together they kind of would have been complimentary in the, both their outfits is quite good yeah this is gonna lead into my next point which is costuming throughout i don't like it i just oh, okay i really wish that wizard fashion was more distinct and visual and mm. muggle clothes look different like i know this was a decision from the third movie onwards that the kids are going to be wearing muggle clothes yeah Uh, i just it doesn't sit right with me i've talked about it before it's boring (laughs) what about the hats how in the books they're all meant to be wearing hats all the time don't give a shit about that (laughs) (laughs) i think about that a bit because like remember the first movie how they had those hats that weren't like broad brimmed they were like just a little little dance hats I wouldn't have minded if they'd all... That's kind of funny. <laughs> I I definitely don't want them in every scene. But, like, for the no, end yeah. of year feasts and stuff like that, like, big, important yeah. events where you would put on your good clothes, uh, yeah, hats, that's fine. <laughs> and also, like, it would make sense to me if when they go to Herbology or Care of Magical Creatures, they have a broad brim hat. Like, no hat, no play. Like, yeah. you know the rules. But then maybe that's just an Australian concept, right? Like, I don't know. I think Australia is really big on sun safety because mm. we have a lot of sun here. We have a and hole also, in the ozone. We have the yeah. hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> Skin cancer is a massive problem. Yeah. So, like, in really, really reinforcing for children sun safety is, I think, an Australian thing. Mm, maybe. Mm. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Bo Batten and Durmstrang, weird gender politics happening. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense, whatever. It's just about making the movie more romantic. It doesn't actually make any logical sense for there to just be a girl's school in France and then a boy's school in wherever Durmstrang is. Yeah. Uh, I'm a boy male wizard born in France, but I have to go to Russia, I guess, to get educated <laughs> or in Britain. Yeah. <laughs> that it's... sucks for me. 
or <laughs> the way that I choose to interpret it is they are mixed gender schools, but they just Bovat and all the best students for the Triwin tournament were all girls. That's just the way it is. But then, unfortunately, demonstrating it means that all the best were boys, and I don't believe yep. that. It doesn't seem realistic to me. <laughs> hey, look, <laughs> that's feminism, baby. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> Uh, next bad choice. I've got a longer section on this later, but Voldemort possessing Harry in Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. You'll never know love or friendship, and I feel sorry for you. It's just a terrible scene. <laughs> Bizarre. Something that lives that lives in my mind rent-free every day, uh-huh. all the time, is, like, you know when it's, like, zooming into Harry's head and he's seeing all the stuff, like, you know, he's looking in the mirror and he shakes his head and it's Voldemort's head and he's like, look at me, and yeah. all that stuff. And there's, like, a specific shot of, like, Voldemort in front of this green screen with yeah, clouds absolutely. zooming past, and he's like, <laughs> and, like <laughs> Literally, Josh and I, all my friends, all the time, like, whenever we, like, look at each other, like, <laughs> like it's it's lived on and it's been in my mind ever since I saw it in the cinema. Like, it's just so out of place. It's so weird. And, like, <laughs> it's just a joke. I can never take it just seriously. It's truly jarring and bizarre. I, I, yeah, I've got a little section that I'm going to do here. So, look, no spoilers, so don't freak out. Stranger Things Season 4 has just come out on Netflix. I assume you've seen it. Mm. There is a very mm-hmm, distinctive yeah. scene in that series that I want to talk about. And I, again, I'm going to say this with absolutely no spoilers, but if you haven't seen it and you don't want to just skip ahead like 30 seconds or so. Yeah. There is a scene where a character in Stranger Things who has been basically grappling with their will to live and who wanted to die mm-hmm. suddenly has to fight for their life and they make the decision that they do want to live and they start fighting for their life and the great song starts playing and it happens mm-hmm. because we see like a montage of all the moments in their life mm-hmm. that make them happy and joyful and make them want to live yeah and i have a whole pitch for a scene in where harry's where voldemort's possessing harry that like should have played like that scene from stranger things i'm going to talk about it later yeah yeah this was a big missed opportunity yep. here to make this a really good impactful scene instead it's just weird <laughs> Yeah, 100% agree. It's also like, I know Daniel Radcliffe's doing his best, but like, the writhing on the ground always makes me a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, with, I'll, like, with there's a part crouched over him, like, what's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> there's a part where he like, bends like a snake, and I always feel a bit icky watching it. I'm like, what am I looking yeah. at? <laughs> Look, yeah, yeah, it's no good. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, the intent of the scene is to make us feel like harrowing, like, oh my god, like, Harry might not make it. But it's just, it, every time it makes me either laugh or feel uncomfortable or like, this is just weird. Yeah. Like, I can't, I get completely removed from the scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll talk more about this later. My mm-hmm. next bad change, the Harry Dumbledore confrontation at the end of Order of the Phoenix, which I think doesn't even happen in the movie. But in the books, there's a whole scene where Harry yeah. loses temper and starts smashing up Dumbledore's office and Dumbledore apologizes for fucking up, basically. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to play exactly that way in the movie. In fact, it shouldn't because it's not perfect. But I really like the moment of both of them fucking up with each other and acknowledging that they fucked up. And like, it just makes their relationship a bit messier and a little bit more mm. equal, which I think is really important for the rest of the story. And we needed some version of it in the movie can we just didn't get it yeah they had like a literally a 30 second scene where like harry and dumbledore in, are in dumbledore's office and dumbledore apologizes to harry because harry's like how did this happen why did this happen i lost serious yeah. and that's it it's really quick it's like blink and you miss yeah. it yeah do they even talk about the prophecy how do we find out about the prophecy in the movies they don't really talk about the prophecy like yeah we need that as well that's another one of mine yeah that's like the whole sixth book should have been 
the whole sixth movie, sorry, should have been that, and it yeah. just wasn't. The sixth movie is my, it's it's my villain <laughs> origin story. <laughs> I hate the sixth movie. It's honestly good we didn't get to the commentary of that, because it just would have been me screaming <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, I understand <laughs> if you want to move all of the prophecy storyline out of book five and into book six. I mean, sorry, out of movie five and into movie mm-hmm. six, because movie five is long. Like, I get it. I That wouldn't yeah. have bothered me. But you needed to have it there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the whole fucking point of the book. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of sixth movie, Burning Down of the Burrow, terrible, unnecessary. No. Mm-hmm. The yeah. truly infuriating thing is not that it happened, it's that it had no consequences. Because obviously, <laughs> they didn't want to logistically deal with it. So there's nothing about, like, the Burrow's protections were, were breached, nothing explaining how it happened. In the next film, the Burrow's repaired like it never happened. Nobody ever mentions it. Like, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Even though, yep. look, if they actually stuck to their guns and destroyed the Burrow, it would have meant that at the beginning of the seventh movie, you have a great opportunity to introduce Shell Cottage as an order safe house, mm-hmm. which then makes mm-hmm. sense for later in the movie where they all retreat to Shell Cottage. Like... You could have set mm-hmm. it up, but they don't. So it's just a stupid, pointless change. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. Do you have more things for six movie? Because I'm about to move on to bad changes for seven. Yes. Six movie. The fact that there's no Voldemort law. Uh, should that be missed opportunities? I put or? that in mixed, missed opportunities. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Never mind. Then. Okay. We'll skip ahead. Uh, Neville giving his weird speech instead of just beheading Nagini like a badass. <laughs> <laughs> no good yep nobody sees harry defeat voldemort we've talked about this literally the climax of the story and mm-hmm. the thing that harry's entire life has been building before towards and nobody can verify that it happened <laughs> yeah nobody sees it it's also really drawn out and weird yeah. and actiony and it's just him, yeah. we've talked about this as well yeah. him turning to dust is really stupid death is ignoble and yeah. physical and it gets us all equally his body should have just dropped to the ground mm-hmm. and he's just a fucking corpse now yeah let the bodies hit the floor yeah uh, and then my final bad change, uh, destroying the Elder Wand. <laughs> I've got a whole pitch for how that scene should have played. <laughs> yeah. Another bad change, I think, there's, there's this moment in part two where it's like, Aberforth is like, I bet you hear, you want to hear all about it, Ariana and Dumbledore and I. And Harry's like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, he says, I don't care. <laughs> That's great, actually. <laughs> That is kind of funny, but also it would have been good to put that in the movie somewhere. Like, read the books. <laughs> if you want to fucking learn about the characters, we don't have time. We've got to go turn oh. to smoke and fly around. When Harry's at King's Cross as well, and he's like, Dumbledore, wait, I don't understand. What have I got to do? Fuck off. No, he knows what to do. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a bad, a bad change. change as well. Yeah. Yep, that's all my that's all my bad changes. Look, I could do this we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but those are the big ones that jumped out to me. Anything else you yep. want to add to there before we move on to best changes or good changes? Um no, I mean we already touched on the fact that Hermione, Ron, Harry, Ginny, a lot of their interactions and a lot of their characterization is fucked. Yeah. And we've talked we've talked about that extensively, so I don't need to go into the details about shoelaces and don't you trust me and all this sort of stuff. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So good changes. For some reason, I skipped straight to movie two. I didn't have any good changes for, for movie one. Movie one's pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> Lucius is Kane. Yes. Oh, fuck yeah. The whole Lucius Malfoy aesthetic. That was all Jason Isaacs, and thank you, Jason, for that. Like he <laughs> knocked it out of the park. He did Fantastic. It. The long hair, the cane, the voice, the costumes. He he was serving cunt with the entire thing, and he did it for us. <laughs> so so <good>. thank you. <laughs> 
I love how much characterization we get in the physicality of the cane. Yeah. Like the grabbing Harry and pushing his fringe back with the cane, whacking Dobby with it. Don't boost Draco and he whacks him with the cane. Fuck yeah. yeah. Phenomenal. When he hits Draco with the cane, like the cane is like a snake head. It's perfect. Like, so good. His wand is in there. So he yeah. rips the head snake. The, he rips the head off the snake and then he can cast a spell with it. Fuck yeah. It's so good. <laughs> Just, like, the fact that when we first meet Lucius Malfoy in that little, like, three-minute scene, <laughs> he's serving so much. Like, he's giving us so much in that three minutes. Like, we already yes. know everything about this man. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. Like, okay, I'm not going to get into uh, Snape as much because I think Snape is very, like, they just pulled him from the books in terms of his appearance. Mm. But, like, the way his robes billow out and, yeah. like, the things Alan Rickman does with his little sleeves and, like, mm-hmm. he's another character that... His costuming and physicality tells us everything we need to know about him. Mm-hmm. Like, Lucius, absolutely, just, he went above and beyond what he was in the books. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of this, another change from Chamber of Secrets. Let us hope Mr. Potter will oh, yes. always be around to save the day. Don't, Don't worry, worry, I will be. I will be. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Iconic. <laughs> Iconic. Great moment. The lighting, the drama, brilliant. I also love from the, the second movie, there's no Hogwarts without you, Hagrid, and the like little clapping scene at the end. I, a lot of people find that really corny. Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm crying at that point. I'm crying. <laughs> They've been through so much. Let them have their moment of happiness. <laughs> I agree that it doesn't really make sense for all of the children to get up and start applauding Hagrid because, like, they don't know him. But it's fine because I, a lover of the books, would get up and applaud Hagrid because I love him. So it it hits for me. So that's fine. And not all the children do. Like, Draco pulls some Slytherins down that are trying to get up and clap. Like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's mostly just the Gryffindors. Yeah. It's fine. Shrunken heads on the night bus. Hmm. I like this guy. I think, uh, I, I mean, I can acknowledge it's probably very problematic and racist. Oh, yeah. Thing. Like, I'm I've like, got, yeah, there's troubling yeah. implications. Is it, uh, yeah. Like, look, the sound bites on TikTok of like, take it away on it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I, <laughs> I really don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I like that it makes the scene a bit fun and wacky. Yeah, Like definitely. that and the music. Like, yeah. We take what could just be a normal bus ride and make it into a whole set piece, which I like and I think is really interesting and fun. Oh, yeah. It turns the chaos up to like a billion. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The the implications of the fact that there are shrunken heads, like, here's the thing. The thing that wrecks it for me is when they are also there in the three broomsticks. Yes. Why were they there? Why were they there? Where did they no. come from? It doesn't. Yeah. That's yeah. where it's like, okay, this is now a piece of world building. If it was just the one head on the night bus, it's like, this isn't necessarily the head of a real person. Yeah. This could just be like an enchanted artifact or something like that. Yeah. But the fact that they're also there in the three broomsticks, like, seemingly their purpose is to stop children from going into the bar. Yeah, they're like a security measure. It's like a security yeah. thing. Like, what is, I, what is this? <laughs> I don't understand that it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, this should maybe go into nonsensical changes, but I like the guy on the night bus. Yeah. Everything else about it is, it doesn't, what's going it's on unsettling. here? It's unsettling. It's <laughs> unsettling. We'd have to read more into it. I also don't really know much about like the cultural context of shrunken heads, but I don't think it's good that there's a bunch of them in Britain. Yeah. That, se- that seems to me very not good. Like, yeah. these are people's remains. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they here on a bus? Speaking of people's remains, uh, Amos Diggory screaming over Cedric's oh. body. Oh, don't. Like, <laughs> I can't. That scene sends me every time. Like, it's a lot to watch. 
<laughs> what a fucking impactful emotional moment, though. Oh We've my talked, god! The music, the way the cannons go, the band starting off, the screaming—like, holy shit! Does that moment hit? Yeah. I like that guy, the guy who played <laughs> Amos Degree, gave such a performance for that little moment. It's like mm. burned in everyone's bra- brains. Like it's insane. Yeah. And that's a moment that doesn't happen in the books at all. We never see the Diggory's mourning their son. No. So, yeah, I think that really makes his death hit. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, here's what might be a controversial one. A lot of people hate this. I liked that Cho Chang was the person who turned in the DA. Mm-hmm. Makes more sense. Yeah. It's less nuanced than in the books, but I think it plays better for a movie because you don't need to introduce Marietta Edgecombe, mm-hmm. a character who literally exists to turn in the DA. Yeah. And then is perpetually villainized for the rest of the books. Like Hermione, like, permanently burns her or whatever. Permanently yeah. scars this girl. Yeah. yeah. She's literally just there to be Cho's friend. So Cho is sympathetic towards her and betray the DA. She does nothing else. She has no other character. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about her. It's like, yeah. it's not, we don't need to introduce this character to the movies. Yeah. Cho Chang is fine. And it's fine because we know that she caved on the torture. Like she was probably coerced with truth serum and stuff. Like, yeah. It's... it's explicit. Like yeah. we are told that it was Veritas serum that yeah. forced her to tell the truth. And like later on in the, like the later movie, she comes back for the Battle of Hogwarts. Like she's a good character. Like. It's not like we can blame her for what happened. It makes the breakup with Harry, which also has to happen for the story, like it just makes more sense and it works Mm -hmm. and you don't have to over-explain all the emotional issues that are going on there. Yeah. I like that. I think that was a good change that made sense. Yeah, I can agree. Sirius saying, nice one, James, to Harry right before he dies. Wow. (laughs) Gutting. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that was the last thing he ever said to him. Mm. Whoa. Devastating. I want to know who decided that. Like, was that the writers? Was that the director? Was that Gary Oldman? I really need to know. Oh, <laughs> who whoever did that? it was, great, great choice. Wounds me to this day. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> and like, oh, God, Dan, Harry's reaction to that. Like, he looks gutted. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Great change. I like the really nice little moment of Harry and Hermione bonding over being heartbroken in Half-Blood Prince. That's a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah. Nice moment. Good. There's not a lot of great Harmony moments. Sorry, not Harmony moments. There's not a lot of great Harry and Hermione moments in the movies because for some reason they feel the need to twist everything into Harmony. Yeah. But that was a good one. Yeah. Like the the moment where they dance in the seventh movie. I always loved that because I'm like, oh, that's friends cheering each other up. But then... I learned that people were like, oh my god, they're in love. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so yeah. it ruined it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was having such a good time at my platonic little happy time. <laughs> like, oh uh, let men and women be friends. It's whatever. <laughs> yeah. This, this, that goes under harmony bad changes because I didn't have time to list them all. Mm-hmm. Harry being drunk off the Felix Felicius. Yeah, that's funny. I like that. Yeah. I just, I liked how the whole scene was played for comedy. That was, was pretty much the only really enjoyable part of the sixth movie. That whole <laughs> comedy scene. <laughs> the rest of the sixth movie makes me nauseous to the pit of my stomach. Like, oh my God, I hate amazing. to see it. <laughs> oh, God, now I wish we were doing a movie commentary on all of them. <laughs> oh, we just don't have time. I'm no. sorry. There's so many movies. They're so long. Okay. Uh, this is another one that might be controversial. I think it was good that they replaced Colin Creevy with Nigel in the later movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, some people yeah. really hate that. They could have just, like, not had Nigel and had it be Colin Creevy in the fifth movie and then it just continues on. Yeah. So here's my reasoning for this. Basically, Nigel exists. The entire purpose of this character is so that we see a child be murdered in the Battle of Hogwarts. Or we see his body. I don't think we actually see him die. Great. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just for that moment, which is the moment in the books where Harry sees Colin Creepy's body. Yep. So the reason why it wouldn't have been as impactful for Colin was because Colin shows up in movie two. True, yeah. By the time we see him in movie eight or seven part two, whatever. He'd be 16. Yeah. He would be, he's, he's going to be visually an adult to our mm. eyes. So we don't get the moment of seeing a child's corpse, which is like, oh my God, you know, consequences, death, war, blah, blah, yeah. blah. We don't get that moment. So you kind of have to introduce Dennis Creevy as much younger to get the same visual impact. And you can't really introduce Dennis Creevy without bringing back Colin Creevy and explaining they're, that they're brothers. <laughs> yeah. So I just think, whatever, it's fine. You just introduce an original character, Nigel. It's He just exists to be a cute kid in a couple of scenes earlier on and then die tragically. <laughs> <laughs> what an iconic mood. Like, wish that were me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think Nigel was a good change. Yeah, 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 agree. Yeah. Deathly Hallows showing Hermione erasing her parents' memories. Oh, iconic. Yes. Yeah, great. I great think, move. does the movie even open with that? Or it might open with a Death Eater scene and then that. Death Eater scene, then that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, great scene, great choice. It would not have hit at all if Hermione just told us about it. It was really, mm. really tragic and heartbreaking to seeing see her happen. fade away from all the pictures. And those look like actual yeah. photographs of Emma when she was younger like mm. oof like and the fact that it started off with the death eater scene and all the death eaters are talking about like you know their new world order and how they're gonna mm-hmm. like basically kill people and then a snake eats a woman like it's very serious and then it flashes instantly to hermione up in her bedroom it's like this is what she's thinking about all the time you yeah. know her family is not safe there is nothing that can be done to keep her family safe from this like yeah, <laughs> yeah. like the the amount that she has to sacrifice to go on this journey with harry and try and save the world mm-hmm Fuck yeah. I wish there had been a similar moment for Ron as well. Mm. But, you know, we, the movies do Ron dirty. But yeah, yeah. great scene. Great choice. Love they did that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Freeing Hedwig. And then... So Harry frees Hedwig before they do the Seven Potters plan. And then while they're up in the sky, Hedwig flies in, saves Harry from a killing curse, dies. Mm. And in doing so, gives him away and the Death Eaters all converge on him. Yeah, that is better than the books. Because in the books, he just yeah. has her with... Him and she he has her in a cage yeah. and she dies accidentally and also then all of the other potters have to have fake birds in cages and mm-hmm. look i think this was a much quicker and simpler way to deal with a very complicated and chaotic scene mm. and also it has more heart to it because it means that he literally yeah. let hedwig go and she saw that he was in trouble and came back for him yeah she came back for life. Him. she gave yeah. her life she's this owl sacrificed <laughs> her life for her boy who she loved oh god and then you don't have to do the whole um, Harry uses Expelliarmus and that gives him away and it's his signature move. And now, Harry, are you going to mm. use Expelliarmus on Voldemort? Are you going to kill him? It's too complicated to do that in that scene there. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's just easier. <laughs> yeah. When Bellatrix carves mudblood into Hermione's arm. Good move. Yeah. Gr- good move. Very scary. Mm-hmm. I like that it also reflects Harry's I must not tell lies scars in the book. Yeah. It reflects what I'm rigid to Harry. Uh, great. Yeah, in the books, we don't see what actually happens when Hermione's being tortured. It's sort of implied that it's just Crucio. I like that they did something physical and permanent and really fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And it shows just what these people are and like what the society is at that time. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's good. Good moment. Mm-hmm. My next one might be Oh, and also, sorry, on top of that moment, we see the yeah. hair fly through the air and into, like, Hermione's hand, which is a good moment because she uses that later in the next movie for the apologies. Oh, question. yeah. So that's a really good way to do that because, like, she's bleeding on the floor, we see the scar, and then we see that she's, like, 
out of it, but she can see a hair falling through the air and she like takes a hold of it. Basically, <laughs> it's good. Sharp as a tack. She never lets anything go, that Hermione. <laughs> Not a single hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this next one's going to be controversial. I think this is a good change. Uh, the scene with Snape cradling Lily's body. <laughs> Because it just makes him look like more of a dick. Yes. (laughs) I love this because it makes him look truly reprehensible. (laughs) It does make him look like that. Cradling the corpse of a woman who hated you and hasn't spoken to you in years while ignoring the orphaned and injured baby (laughs) that she died for crying in the background. (laughs) Nothing could more succinctly show that Snape is a horrible selfish cunt yeah it's true also the haircut <laughs> that he had in that film that, that that moment is also terrible so it makes him look worse uh, great <laughs> fuck yeah I've, I think I've criticised this choice in the past but thinking about it looking back on it I'm like actually it was perfect <laughs> <laughs> the lighting the music everything <laughs> great <laughs> And uh, my final good change, this one might also be controversial, Voldemort hugging Malfoy. I love that. (laughs) Why? Because it's so uncomfortable? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look, a lot of people that they thought it was really funny, and I get it. 10 out of 10, memeable. It's great. In the cinema, for the very first time watching that, I remember the cinema being silent, and I remember everyone being Everyone was holding their breath. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Like, Voldemort is so unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter is dead! And like, <laughs> yeah, and the, like, the way that he, like, he, the way that he goes in for the hug, it's like, I have no idea what he's about to do. <laughs> this could be anything. Yeah. Could not tell you what's about to happen. Yeah. Great. Like, I think it's really horrifying, and then also, later on more rewatches, it plays as comedic, which is great. Mm. Like, you get the two for two. Yeah. I have some changes that I'd like to mention. This for good ones. I just got yeah one more on this oh, point. Yeah. Also, the fact that the Malfoys just leave is oh, great. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> they just fucking peace out. We're done with this. See ya. Yeah, because in the book they're like cowering in a corner. It's like you could still die there. I would just peace out. I would just leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just they just fucking go. They're like we're done with this. The battle isn't even over. Voldemort's still alive, and they're just like no. Nah. <laughs> See ya. Yeah, great. Um, I have some changes. Uh. I yep. like Luna and Neville at the end, or the implication of them. That's cute. Yes, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, love, love. I love, um, love bottom. Yeah, love bottom. Great. Makes shit. a lot Fuck more yeah. sense. We've done a single float on yeah. it. Makes a lot more sense. It's well done. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. I've got to go find Luna. I'm, I'm telling her mad for her. That's cute. Love that. Yes, great. Uh, another one I like is Voldemort's look. So in the book, yes, he's obviously his nose is never described, and he has red eyes and all this sort of stuff. I just really mm-hmm. like. The movie look and i've seen some like concept art for how he might have looked and it would have looked more horrifying and mm. that would have been really cool but also like you know there's children here like <laughs> let's calm down <laughs> let's not give them too many nightmares i like how they in the fourth movie when they're sort of bringing back you know voldemort in his physical form they emphasize that he always has bare feet i think that's feral and i think it's great yes um he's basically always dressed the same like love the robes what a look so that one scene where he's in a suit which is so jarring <laughs> yeah that's like a weird hallucination yeah i like the <laughs> fact that they got rid of the nose to make him more snake-like that was an inspired choice i love mm-hmm. the fact that they actually didn't make his eyes red because i think the fact that yeah. his eyes were red were very complimentary to harry's green eyes and we know daniel doesn't have yes, those eyes. The red and green but also the fact that his eyes are like a dark gray or like a light gray 
the fact that they're pale it makes him look dead which is ironic mm. for his character because he's meant to be mm-hmm. defying death so i think that that's a good choice and his long yeah. nails and stuff like he just looks like someone who's sort of emaciated which is nice mm. so yeah i enjoyed that <laughs> yeah he looks like he died and came back to life yeah i also yeah. enjoy Corpse how energy in the fourth movie he definitely looks more oily and slick because he's like freshly born like mm. you know he's got all the veins and stuff and he looks more gaunt which i like the only thing this is like a random movie thing but <laughs> in the first and second movies there was an established voldemort theme it was dun 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 dun, dun, dun. that was the john williams yeah. voldemort theme and they didn't bring it back for the fourth uh. movie and it, it's so annoying because like this is like you know his return they should have been like slowly weaving it into the score and building up and building up because no one has any idea what's going on in the movie mm. harry doesn't know what's happening everyone's nervous if they'd been building in that that would have been so sick but they just completely changed the theme to something else and i hated it yeah that sucks Um, yeah that's That's a bad choice that's one of my only critiques of the score otherwise the score slaps so hard all the way through Mm. the films but yeah that's my big critique of the score something that i didn't put under good changes i put under weird changes but actually i should have listed it as a good one uh voldemort's weird manic energy yeah (laughs) especially in the fourth movie it's scary but in a really different way than how Voldemort is in the books Mm -hmm. yeah in the books I always picture him as like quite quiet like a menacing presence who's calm and then yeah like a snake Mm -hmm. like a coiling snake ready to strike because there's these occasional bursts of incredible violence yeah but I think like this unhinged violence threat works a lot better on screen. Yeah. He's just he's crazy. It's great. It's it's very good. <laughs> yeah. I think it plays better than this master of fear striking from the shadows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's actually a good change. I misfiled that. <laughs> Except for the <laughs> in the fifth yeah. movie. <laughs> Except for that. That just yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm moving on to weird or nonsensical changes now. Okay, Do you have anything go. else you want to add to good or bad? I guess another good change is there was more airtime for Luna because Ivana Lynch was so iconic. Yeah. There was more moments with Luna and Harry bonding. Mm-hmm. The, the things we find have a way of coming back to us in the end and her talking about festivals and isolation and stuff like that. I think that was just all good, great content. Yeah, that was good. So, yeah, that's good. Okay, weird changes. This is such a tiny thing, but in Philosopher's Stone, Hagrid says that he got that he got uh, Fluffy from a Greek chappy, and in the movies they change it to Irish fella. Why? Huh. It's literally like two words. But it makes sense because Fluffy is obviously a reference to Cerebus. Greek mythology. Yeah, Greek yeah. mythology, the three-headed dog. Hades' is dog. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's implied by Greek chappy, and then they change it to Irish fella for no fucking reason that I can determine. <laughs> Why? I guess just it must have been one of those things like oh we're releasing this to a British audience like it's just easier to understand <laughs> British I don't know. people don't know that Greece exists <laughs> um, also maybe an American audience like Americans can understand maybe that England is a place because Hogwarts is there even though Hogwarts mm. is in Scotland but like Greece might be too much for them. I don't know yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's weird. Just like, just a tiny change that takes away a character moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not a character, a world building moment. which mm-hmm. annoys me. Like, it would have been so easy just to leave it. But anyway. Maybe it's um, Robbie Coltrane can't say the word Greek. Like, he pronounces <laughs> it wrong every time or something. Oh, I thought you meant like he took a vow <laughs> to never reference. <laughs> no, nah, it's like Ben the Cumberbatch with Penguin or something. You just can't say it, right? <laughs> so like, oh, let's change it to Irish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> I skipped all the way to Prisoner of Azkaban here. 
mm-hmm. using magic outside of school, specifically yeah. the U- Lumos Maxima scene that opens the movie. Yeah. I'm conflicted on this because I don't dislike the scene. Mm-hmm. The opening to the movie, I think it's great. It plays really well. Like, it's good visually. There's a character mm-hmm. moment of Mr. Dursley running into the room again and again. Yeah. But... <laughs> It's so weirdly out of place because, first of all, there's the massive rule, no magic outside of Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. But specifically, that no magic outside of Hogwarts is a massive plot point in the second movie that Mm -hmm. just happened. And then also again in Order of the Phoenix. Mm. So the inconsistency of it really bothers me. Yeah. 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 Like... It's hard to be like, it's hard to draw the line because like one, it's like an inconsistency thing and it draws you out of the film, but two, Mm. it's such a great film moment. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like art over form, like not, no, form over function or whatever it is. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a film buff and we need Josh here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We should have had Josh for this episode. (laughs) Also, Hermione also uses magic outside of school. She repairs Harry's glasses, I think on two separate occasions. Yeah. Diagonally and on the train. The train's fine with me. Um, Dark and Alley is obviously not good because they wouldn't know about the trace yet. But if you know about the trace, it's all chill. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it also, it doesn't really bother me because at that, okay. So the moment in Chamber of Secrets where Hermione fixes Harry's broken glasses, that then becomes a little character moment between Harry and Hermione. Mm-hmm. If they had done it with Mrs. Weasley or whatever, I don't know, like you'd miss out on that little interaction with Harry and Hermione then. Yeah, exactly. And like, ultimately it doesn't really matter. It's just weird because in these moments it doesn't matter, but then in other moments it really matters. And there's massive consequences for using magic outside of school. And that bothers yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really like, just, it's really just Harry. Like, <laughs> yeah. if Harry uses magic outside of school, he gets in trouble, but only specific stuff. Lemos is fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's almost like he got, like, academic dispensation to do his homework outside of school. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably how people could try and explain it so it makes sense. But, yeah, it's just an inconsistency. Uh, Whatever. Like I said, it's not a... I didn't put it under bad change. It's weird. Mm. Prisoner of Azkaban, leaving out all of the Marauders' backstory... Mm. Genuinely, I didn't notice because I've read the book. (laughs) Yeah, and once you read the book, you fill in the holes yourself. Yeah, it's fine for me. But I was looking at that movie again, and I've realized that several things about it must be really baffling if you haven't read the book. Yeah. Like, what did the map have to do with anything? It's never explained Mm -hmm. that James and co. were the Marauders. Mm Mm-hmm. It's true. Why is Harry's Patronus a stag? It's never explained that James was a stag. Yeah. How did they, how did Sirius and Pettigrew both become Animagus? That's never explained. There's so many unanswered questions. Yeah. Like, does that movie even make sense if you haven't read the book? (laughs) It's just vibes. It's just vibes if you just haven't read the books. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is weird because it's like, I think it's your favorite movie and it's maybe mine as well. It's probably, it's hard to say. I really like, two three and four are such strong ones for me i love five because of ron's characterization in five yeah i think two might be my favorite seven part one is actually quite good as well i like seven Mm. part one a lot seven part two can go to hell but um (laughs) seven part one is good another weird change the bizarre freeze frame ending of prisoner of azkaban you all know what i mean (laughs) hey the real ones love it i love it (laughs) i hate it But it's just such a weird choice. What a bizarre choice <laughs> to end the movie like that. Why? <laughs> it's a fun. 
Yeah, and we started so strong with the Lumos Maxima, and now we're here. <laughs> if they if they ever change that, like if you know how on Disney Plus when they like release stuff and Disney like sanitizes it, if they yeah. ever like were to change that in the future, I think I would write. Like, <laughs> don't take that moment away from me. <laughs> this is so fucking specific. Probably nobody ever clocked this except for me, who it's been living in my head rent free. <laughs> there is a scene in the fourth movie with. Karkaroff and the Triwizard Cup where he goes yeah <laughs> he goes to see the Triwizard <laughs> Cup in the middle of the night and like oh so suspiciously looks out and closes the door and makes sure nobody's watching him what the fuck is he doing I love that scene because sometimes I too like to act like a little villain like I've got a little secret yeah like if I'm in the house by myself and I'm like wearing like a like a towel around my shoulders and like oh it's my cape and I'm like <laughs> I'm like staunching around my apartment like ooh but like <laughs> So obviously the scene is there to imply to the audience that Karkaroff is the bad guy and is up to no good. So t- to trick you, it's a red herring. Yeah. But like, <laughs> from his point of view, first of all, what the fuck is he doing? Because he doesn't tamper with the cup and he doesn't put Crumb's name in because we see Crumb do that himself. Yeah. Iconic. So what the f- what what is he doing? <laughs> what is he doing in the room? And why is he acting like a super suspicious <laughs> villain for no fucking reason? Because no one's there to see him, so he's doing it for himself. <laughs> he's, he's, he's dramatic like us. He likes to act like a cheeky little villain sometimes. <laughs> it just like I said, it's not good or bad. I understand why the scene is in the movie, but like I understand the Doyleist explanation for it, but the Watsonian explanation doesn't exist. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we know those words, Doyleist and Watsonian? Does that make sense? No, I was just going to ignore you. But what okay. <laughs> I'll explain it really, really quickly because I just I just threw those terms in there and didn't explain them. So uh, Sherlock Holmes, yeah, the sure. series, written by Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. But also in universe, the books are written by John Watson, Watson. the character, yeah, sure. because he writes up his adventures with Sherlock Holmes and publishes them in like the form of books. Yeah. yeah. So for anything that happens inside the story of Sherlock Holmes, there's two possible explanations for it. One, right. the real world choices that the real world author made, the Doyleist explanation. Yeah. And two, the in-universe canon reasoning for why that happened, the Watsonian explanation. Sure. Okay, yeah, cool. Makes sense. There we go. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> that was just a little tangent. Goblet of Fire, the maze. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I cut in before the maze? Because it's something that always yes, was weird to me. Okay, the whole finding Mr. Crouch in the woods thing. So this scene plays out so weird. What happens is Harry is chilling with his friends in the woods, okay? He comes across... For some reason. (laughs) He comes across the... It's after the lake. He comes across the body of um, Barty Crouch Sr. And it's very unclear. No, he's meant to be dead. So it's very unclear (laughs) because he's sort of lying there still. You could think that he's kind of like... Had maybe had a fit and sort of zoned out. Um, he could just be tired, but it's. I think it's meant to be that he's dead, right? Okay. So what happens is Harry. The scene changes. Harry is now entering Dumbledore's office, and obviously we're thinking, okay, Harry's going to tell Dumbledore he's just found someone in the woods. Uh-huh. Harry goes to knock on the door, but there are voices behind the door. Now, if you're like yes. like me and you can't hear very well, <laughs> my whole <laughs> life I watched these scenes being like, what the fuck? I finally watched it with subtitles, and you can hear that they're discussing something. There's like Moody. There's Cornelius Fudge and Dumbledore are discussing like, oh, um, like I'll go get Barty and stuff like that. And they're, so they're discussing that they already know about the man in the woods, right? Okay. And then Moody and Fudge leave. And so Dumbledore follows them to talk to them quickly and is like, stay here, Harry. So uh-huh. that whole thing plays out. 
if you can hear really well or if you're watching it with subtitles, you know that that man in the woods is being dealt with. If not, you're fucked. <laughs> Harry just stands in the office and then the whole stuff happens with the pensive. So you're, you're there wondering, what the fuck just happened? Like, it's like, <laughs> like it was, I always found it so odd. And because I'd read the books, it didn't matter. But yeah. if you haven't read the books and you're not, like, you don't have supersonic hearing... <laughs> Like, or even if you're just like getting popcorn at that second, you don't actually, you just sort of miss. Like, it's so quick. It's all just happens paying so attention. Quick. Yeah. It's hard to hear a conversation <laughs> that characters are happening in a different room that you're yeah. not seeing. Yeah. So it's just been a really weird moment that plays out. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it was a bad choice. Yeah. It is also very strange that, like, Harry is walking with his friends, which I think is Hermione, Ron, and Hagrid. Yeah, they're singing. And they start yeah. singing the school song. Yeah. And Harry wanders off at a great distance from them for some fucking reason. <laughs> Being moody, you know. <laughs> Finds a body, and then, like, there's no consequences for that. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he yells out to his friends, and Hagrid's yeah. like, oh, you kids get back to the school where it's safe, and I'll deal with it. I'll call Dumbledore yeah. or something. No, We it's... don't see the, their reaction at all. And there's no, like, Harry never wants to deal with this body. <laughs> it's never mentioned. No one ever brings up. So how weird was it that Mr. Crouch is found dead? No one says anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Harry, did you kill this man? Did you find this body? Like, what's going on here? There's no... It's, it's just... even unclear if Crouch is dead or alive. Because like I said, it's just very quick. Like, it's like it's not like Harry leans down and goes, oh, he's dead. Like, <laughs> I need that as a movie watcher. I can't rely on the visuals all the time. He might just be yeah. chilling on the ground. I don't know what's yeah. going on. Here's the trick about... <laughs> Here's the trick about bodies in movies. Like, 90% of the time, they're played by a living human. Yeah. They don't look dead. <laughs> exactly. I need you to tell me if it's dead or not, because I can see that man and he looks alive. Yeah, he's not cut in half, so I don't know, yeah. like, what happened. His skin is flush with blood, like he looks like a living human. <laughs> yeah, that scene's always thrown me. That that needed to be reworked, I think. I don't know. Anyway. That's great. <laughs> the mace. I like that for you... The way to fix that is for Harry to go, oh no, he's dead. I have to go tell Dumbledore. That's Cut it. to Dumbledore's office. That's it. That's Done. all it would have taken. And then Dumbledore's like, thank you for telling me, Harry. I'll, like, I've already sent people to go deal with it. I've sent Moody and stuff to go deal with it. Yeah, um, I'm aware of the situation. Just wait here in my office for a second and then they leave. Yeah. Done. Two lines. Fixed it. <laughs> that would have fixed it for me. Years of confusion yeah. gone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we we skipped over fucking Mummy Piercing My Jumper. Yes, it was on the cat. Oh. Another bizarre change. <laughs> and then learning that the cat was a uh, coat rack. like A, bunch a of coat cats. rack. Yeah. A coat rack in the shape of a cat that they hung their jumpers on. Like, I love that change. <laughs> I think it's great. It's great, but literally I remember like looking up trivia about the Harry Potter movies <laughs> in the middle of the night before we were going to see part eight in cinemas the next morning. Yeah. And like waking up in the morning and having breakfast with all of you and being like, guys, I've solved a decades long mystery. <laughs> yeah. And announcing it to the family and all of us were like, oh, <laughs> yes, dear. It's on the cat. Yeah. Such a simple line. So many years of questions. <laughs> So so mysterious. <laughs> but I do love it because it, it puts you in the world and it is just a testament to the amazing set dressing of those films. So I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's also great because it really puts you in the mind of Harry who doesn't fucking understand what's going on and nobody explains anything to him. And it's great because if you like it's easy to figure out because basically the next scene they're at the fireplace where the cat is on top of the fireplace. So you could see it yeah. if your eyes are keen enough. If you're paying yeah, attention, got... it's for the people who are paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> For the fucking sleuths in the audience who can solve all the mysteries. <laughs> anyway, okay. the maze. Next next weird change for Goblet of Fire, the maze. Yes. Yeah. I, the madness I maze. Whether, 
Maze of Insanity. <laughs> I really was debating with myself whether to list this as a good or bad, and eventually I put it into just weird because I don't know. Mm. I think it was much scarier to make the maze a psychological challenge. Yeah. And I understand that there's no time for a bunch of different beasts and a riddle game and a bunch of different mm. spells. Like and that's a whole more lot of CGI. And we've talked about how magic is shown in these movies before. It's not as yeah. interesting for reasons. It's, yeah, it's yeah. complicated. It's hard to film. It wouldn't make sense. Like, we don't have time for a big, like, 20-minute scene in the maze of Harry solving all these challenges. Mm. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't work. It suits the darker tone of the film. It sets up the horrible scene that's about to happen. Yeah. But the, my big problem is the moment where Harry almost leaves Cedric to die so he can win the tournament. Mm-hmm. Doesn't fit his character. Like, literally, Harry's biggest flaw is that he always needs to save people. Like, mm-hmm. that is his character flaw. So to have this moment that erases or ignores Harry's biggest character flaw and then replaces it with a different character flaw is just like a wild choice for just this one scene only and it doesn't sit well with me i it doesn't work for harry's character okay but it does work for the tone and themes of the film yeah so i guess you could just blame the character inaccuracy on the fact that the maze changes people there's some sort of yeah. weird curse on this maze that's making people think only about competition and not about cooperation not about camaraderie so yeah but that's an insane thing to put in a <laughs> in a contest for little children <laughs> Yeah, well, like, like so's a dragon. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, so we're we're challenging you to like do well in this contest. Now go into the maze that will literally change your personality and all of your goals and wants and desires. Like it doesn't make any sense, but mm. I guess a lot of stuff doesn't. <laughs> Whatever. But I think it's also it's good because it does show complexity in Harry. Um, yeah. Like Cedric's not his favorite person because he stole his girl. If you can see it mm. that way, and also I guess like, it works for the movie. Yeah, it works in the movie. It also makes Harry more heroic when he does make the decision to save Cedric. And Cedric brings it up too, like, I thought you were going to leave leave me for a second. Harry's like, yeah, I thought I did too. Like, it yeah. just shows, like, it's a dark, complex time, but Harry still makes the right choice. He always mm-hmm. makes the right choice. Like, And it also yeah. helps Cedric and Harry bond because, like, you know, they're both going through it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they acknowledge that to each other. Yeah, and it makes it hit when, like, Harry made the choice to, you know, sacrifice his own happiness i guess you could say by winning Mm. the tournament harry made a choice to put himself at risk to save cedric and in doing so you think he's passed the test of the movie and now cedric will be safe and happy and then cedric fucking dies minutes later so it's pretty good i like it as a change actually i think it's a good change look yeah you could argue for Mm. good change i'm still putting it in weird Mm. because it's just for me an odd choice but i understand it completely yeah. it does make sense like I think, the like the cock yeah. off change it makes sense <laughs> i understand but it's still weird i think it's a good change for movie harry for book harry no yeah that's the difference book harry wouldn't play guy. movie harry's different yeah movie harry needs a bit more nuance every now and then he's kind of just sort of a uh, <laughs> yeah. <an> amalgam <laughs> yeah look that's fine <laughs> Half-Blood Prince, I've skipped completely over Order of the Phoenix. No weird changes there, I guess. It's fine. Half-Blood Prince does not explain Snape's backstory at all. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> that doesn't bother me because I don't give a shit. But I, it's very weird that the movie is called Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and we literally spend like zero time on that mystery at all. <laughs> we don't care. Yep. Doesn't explain it. I'm the Half-Blood Prince. Okay, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Why did any of this happen? It also, yeah, completely. Oh, we, we're going to get to that next, but yeah. <laughs> oh, weird changes. 
Oh, just the, this is such a film thing. Mm. The way that the Half-Blood Prince is colored to look like a Rembrandt painting. What was the reason? <laughs> I can't fucking see. Turn up the lights. <laughs> Everything's hazy. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm drunk watching this. <laughs> <I agree. laughs> no, it looks bad. It looks bad. Yeah. Uh, my next changes were both for Deathly Hallows. Did you have something else about Half-Blood Prince? Oh. For weird changes? I thought it was a... A weird change that Harry was at the start of the movie out in the muggle world at this random like subway oh, yeah. cafe. Bizarre. That was a weird change. Like I didn't hate it because it's nice to see different parts of the world, but it's just a bit weird. Why is it? Why are you reading that magic paper in public, man? Yeah. Like, she's noticed. <laughs> she saw it. <laughs> she's asking questions. You're gonna have to obliviate her now. Yeah. That's so unfortunate. <laughs> and like Harry's Harry's hitting on this random muggle girl, which I don't mind. That's fine. Like he can flirt with people. It's not like a character. No, flirt. I mind that because it's part of the fucking hidden agenda of this film, which is it's all about sex and drugs yeah, exactly. and rock and roll. Which is all the fucking I'm putting on the the impression of Steve Clovis and the writers and the like these awful men being like, oh yeah, all these teenagers are fucking. Let's put them in a movie. <laughs> like no, this is the the, the like romance are subplots in this yeah. book. Like. The book is about the Half-Blood Prince and learning about Voldemort's past and learning about what Harry needs to do next. Understanding the prophecy. Yeah. Understanding, understanding Harry's destiny. And that's completely gone. <laughs> it's not there. Yeah, look. <laughs> it's just about relationships. I fucking hate it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it works for the movie because it does set up one of the major themes of the movie, which is these teenagers want to fuck. They're horny. <laughs> <laughs> Horned up. I hate it so much. But yeah, look, you're correct. The, this movie... It's the first insult. <laughs> Like, Waitress is hot. Yeah, I'd be horned up too. But, like, fuck. <laughs> the movie doesn't do... <laughs> not what the film's about. Yeah, it doesn't do what it should do, which is the setup for the climax and the finale of the series. Like, everything that happens in Half-Blood Prince is about setting up all the things that will happen in Deathly Hallows. And I understand why that's hard to be... Hard to make it dramatic. But, like, come on. People have committed to six movies. <laughs> like... They yeah. can sit through a fucking foreshadowing movie. Just do it. Do your job. Also, like, make it dramatic. That's what you. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the point of adapting. Like, you know, sometimes it's hard to adapt, but do it good. <laughs> it's, just that, it's that simple. Do it good. <laughs> do your jobs. Just do it good. <laughs> yeah, all of Half Blood Prince. Good. I understand why you don't like it. You think it's the worst movie? <laughs> Look, probably it is the worst movie. <laughs> 100 percent the worst one. okay then closely followed by part two yeah again this is really nitpicky in deathly hallows after the seven potters plan goes bad lupin runs up to harry and to check that it's actually him he asks him what creature was on my desk it was a grindulo that is a line that is ripped directly from the book which is fine yep. because in the book it makes sense in the movie we don't get that scene Wasn't it never there. happened yeah. so what the fuck is he talking about yeah, he should have asked a different question. Should have asked question. a different question. Why? Yeah. Like, that's such a stupid thing to happen. <laughs> yeah, he should have asked him about, like, when when I was teaching you in your third year, how did I help you learn how to do a Patronus? Yeah. And Harry would say, a Bogart. Yeah. Or something like yes. that. What, that would have been easy. What creature did I use <laughs> to train you to cast a Patronus? Yeah. A Bogart. Yeah. Not many people would know that, except for Lupin and Harry and maybe his classmates. Well, here's the thing. In the movie, it's a scene with just Lupin and Harry. All you had to do was pick a scene that only Lupin and Harry were there for. You don't have to explain everything else around it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's fine. We get it. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense and it annoys me because it's such a simple, easy thing to change. And it's, yeah, annoying. It's like the Greek chappy Irish lad thing. (laughs) Like, why? (laughs) Yeah. Here's my last nonsensical change. And again, I understand exactly why this happened. 
Godric Gryffindor's sword is designed for a 12-year-old. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then in the Deathly Hallows movies, it looks stupid when the adults are holding it. It's true. It's clearly yeah. a child's sword. Look, maybe Godric Gryffindor was a short king, and we have to respect that. <laughs> well, maybe it's his... It's, his... it's a goblin sword. It's a goblin-made goblin sword, sword, so it was made for a goblin. Yeah. It was made for him when he was a child, and he's like, oh, my most precious childhood relic. I'll put it in his hat. <laughs> Or maybe he just stole it from a bunch of goblins. Maybe they're right. Yeah, <laughs> was it made for him? I like I said, I understand why it happened. Obviously, the sword was made for twelve-year-old Harry in the second movie, and they didn't know it was going to come back. And then it's like, okay, <laughs> do we just use the same prop, or do we completely redesign it and just gloss over the fact that it's clearly a different sword? <laughs> what I would have done to not make it look dumb is Neville draws it out. He looks at it and then it grows magically to be an adult sized sword. Yeah. That would have been cool. Except that's <laughs> like that's not when Neville gets it. It's it happens earlier when Harry gets it out of the lake. Oh, even then, just have it grow for Harry. Be like, oh, like because then it's like, you know, it's really it's about you have to be the right kind of person to pull it out of the hat or the right kind of person yeah. to retrieve the sword. So the sword fits you. Yeah. You that know? makes sense. Just imagine, yeah, it's a magic sword. We see it magically change and now it looks good and like a real prop. And then double yeah. the merchandising. Now you've got two things you can sell, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You can have a telescopic go- like Godric sword where you can flick, flick it out and it gets longer. Yeah. It becomes like a broadsword. <laughs> and then again, it sets up the really cool scene where Neville kills a snake with it. And it doesn't look yeah. like he's swinging around a child's toy. <laughs> yeah. God, we're good, we're good at this. We could be doing merchandise. Yeah. Imagine the money we could be making if we were big buck bankers or something in our suits, you know? We'd be so good at this shit. Like, oh, come on, imagine. Like, you just put an extension on it and you're selling more toys. <laughs> Smoking off fat cigars, you know? Okay, that's actually a perfect lead into my final section, which is missed opportunities. This is the time All where right. it's time for me to say how I would make the movie go. Let's go. Time for my fan fiction. So do you have anything else you want to add to weird changes or? No, no, let's put on our suits and get our fat cigars and yeah. sit down with our, okay. our director feet up on the desk. <laughs> Missed opportunities. <laughs> Harry doesn't have his mother's eyes. Okay. I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this as well. I understand. They tried to do the green contacts with Daniel Radcliffe and he couldn't wear them. He was a little boy. It's fine. Yeah. I guess that. Ch- just cast a woman and a girl that had blue eyes. Yes. It's that simple. That's the that's the thing that I want to change. So when they cast grown-up adult Lily for being in the mirror and her other scenes, she has blue eyes that match Dan. That's fine. Yeah. The other Good. actresses they cast to play Lily as a little girl and a teenager all have brown eyes. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Like, I'm sure they could have found another redhead or just put a wig on someone. How, like, it's how? not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, look. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's just a missed opportunity. Just yeah. do it better. It does suck that, like, Harry having his mother's eyes is just such an important beat and it doesn't land in the films. Which is yeah. fine because he doesn't have the green eyes. I get it. Whatever. But you know. We take a puff of our cigar. Find me a blue-eyed girl! <laughs> it's a missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Peeves. Peeves is not in the movies. This one might be controversial because I understand that we don't have time for everything. But I don't want Peeves to be a main character. I don't want big moments for him. Like, Nearly Headless Nick is barely in the fucking movies, but he's there in the background. What I like about Peeves is that he is a jumping-off point to give us character moments for the others. Specifically, Fred and George, Lupin and the other Marauders, and Filch. I just wish he'd been around for a couple of scenes, especially in the earlier movies. 
I can see it, but I just think your justification isn't good yeah. enough. Because why do we need more character moments of Fred and George, Lupin and Filch? I think we have enough. Look, that's fair. The ones that... And, like, we can do them in different ways. Like, I like the moment with Fred and George where they're like, I think we've outgrown our education because they're comforting Nigel. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a good for them because they're older brothers. Yeah, like, look, that's and like, you know... The moments that I'm specifically yeah. thinking of are when... Harry's like, oh shit, I found a body in Chamber of Secrets and Peeves comes out and starts framing him because I like that moment. The moment in Prisoner of Azkaban where Lupin is there with his students and he teaches them how to get rid of Peeves and like, Mm -hmm. that's a great character moment for him showing that he has a side to him that we don't really see. But again, we cut the entire world's backstory so it doesn't matter. And Mm -hmm. then give a hell from us, Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, I'm fine to live without those. I also think if we had Peeves, we'd want to include him in the Battle of Hogwarts, and I think yeah. that would have reduced the severity of that moment. Because if you have like kooky peeves running around throwing golf bats and golf bats, golf clubs <laughs> and baseball bats and pots and pans at people, it reduces the intensity mm. of the scene. And like, I really like the moment in the Battle of Hogwarts where they're running through the courtyard to get to the boathouse, and like, they're sort of like people have pointed out before, they deal with all of their things in order. Mm. So they have a troll, they have spiders, and like, they sort of like werewolves and they go through all these things like in the order of the movies the yeah. the first movie the spiders the you know werewolves. that is like, a it's good, good moment it's a good moment <laughs> yeah. look that's yeah. fair i'm willing to let go of peeves that's fine i i would have liked him to be there but i understand why okay the only clowns on set would be the writers <laughs> we say as we take another puff from our cigar <laughs> okay bill and charlie Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need a lot of characterization from them, and I understand why they weren't cast because they don't have lines or things to do. But I would have really liked for them to be there in the Weasley family scenes, mm. especially in the later movies. But mostly, like for Bill, because Bill's wedding and Shell Cottage feel so out of place because it's like, who the fuck's this guy? We've literally never seen him before. Yeah, I wish he'd been around from fifth movie onwards at least. Charlie, mm-hmm. I can live without, but Bill should have been there. Yeah, yeah, I can agree. Yeah, just just in the background, just cast a guy. He doesn't have to say anything. Doesn't have to be Dermot Gleeson yet. Yeah, <laughs> until he Whatever. starts speaking. Until he starts speaking, you can recast yeah. him. I just need another redhead around to be like, that's Bill. <laughs> There's not enough redheads on set. Go get some more. <laughs> okay, this one is weird because Dobby isn't in the movies enough. Mm. and that means that a lot of Dobby's scenes get taken and given to Neville which is good because we see more Neville and Neville's more important Mm -hmm. but Dobby's death for me doesn't work because we haven't seen him for 10 years versus in the book Dobby is there in every single book except for the first one where he doesn't exist yet and I think book number three yeah yeah he's just around he's like a constant presence in the castle so it's like Harry's friend who dies versus this fucking creature. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also with Dobby being shoehorned in into the first part of seven, we mm. l- lose a lot of creature stuff. Like creatures character yes. development's just gone because they give it to Dobby instead. Yeah. So that Dobby's death means something. Yeah. Which is unfortunate for creature. But again, mm. I don't need the moment with creature. It's fine to get in the books and not the movies for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you shoehorn more Dobby in without doing the SPEW storyline, which I don't think we have space for in the movies. Mm-hmm. Important mm-hmm. for Miney's character, but we just don't have time for it. So I don't know how you fix this, but I don't know. It should have. You could fix something. it by just giving Dobby his moments and giving Neville a visiting parents in the hospital scene. Yeah. Because then that that gives us more with Neville. My next point is leaving out Neville and his parents. Again, I understand why it was cut, but. 
Look, here's my mm. pitch for how you do this in three lines. You don't even need scenes. Three lines. Mm-hmm. Neville talks about his parents in the DA when yeah when they're tra- tra- ah, when they are practicing and training in the DA. He talks about his parents and what happened to them. Bellatrix mocks him and his parents when they meet in the Department of Mysteries. And then mm-hmm. in the scene that should have been but isn't, where Dumbledore talks about the prophecy with Harry, Dumbledore mentions the prophecy could have been about Neville and that's why his parents paid that price. There you go. Yeah. Three lines. And there we go. And then we can even have an extra scene. You know when Harry's with Luna and Luna's talking about lost things and all that? Yeah. Like we can have an extra scene where Harry's walking to the Great Hall and he passes Neville and we have this look on Dan's face where Harry's like man my life could have been neville's yeah. and like he says hey neville come on we're gonna miss the feast and he like like he and neville go to the feast together yeah great and it's like harry reaching out to neville that's actually you know? perfect because yeah. you know we know that harry's mourning serious and we now understand all this stuff about neville yeah yeah perfect done well like and even like we can have luna skipping along behind them and she comes up to neville and has a chat like mm-hmm. that's perfect yeah or you even know? like Maybe even Neville reaching out to Harry and Harry says no, and then we see Neville and Luna go into the feast together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there's lots there's of ways lots you to could do, do it. with that. I yeah. The scene with Neville and his parents at the hospital doesn't work for me because we don't go to St. Mungo's in that movie. There's no time for it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Mr. Weasley is just at Grimmauld Place again, injured. We don't actually go to the hospital, so it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. But I think if you just lay in the backstory for all the character building that Neville does on screen, that's fine. And readers of the book will know. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Here's the big one that I mentioned earlier. Voldemort possessing Harry in Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) Yeah, let's go. This moment has so much potential, it's fucking wasted. So let me pitch you the scene. (laughs) Yeah. Voldemort and Dumbledore... Voldemort and (laughs) Dumbledore... Voldemort and Dumbledore are fighting. Harry Mm -hmm. is creeping in and trying to take a shot at Voldemort because he's still consumed with rage over Sirius's death. Yep. Dumbledore turns his back on Voldemort to try and push Harry back away from the battle. We see Harry and Voldemort lock eyes for a second. And then when Dumbledore turns back to the fight, Voldemort's just fucking gone. Yeah. Now, this is where I would have Lupin arrive with Ron Hermione and the other kids as well. Yeah. You could do the scene without them, but I, I would have them there. I think it works better with them there. Mm-hmm. Someone is like, maybe Ron is like, it's over, Voldemort's gone. But Dumbledore is like, no, stay back. And then Harry starts laughing. And now it's not Harry's laugh. It's Voldemort's laugh. And we see his face and he has Voldemort's pale slitted eyes. Mm -hmm. And then Daniel Radcliffe gets to act his fucking heart out and give us his best Voldemort impression. I want him to start shooting curses at Dumbledore. No. Here we go. He can. In your version. In my version, he doesn't. (laughs) He's going to say something like, but they're right. It is over. Dumbledore, your greatest fear has come to pass. The boy who lived is so consumed by rage and despair, you've lost him. He's mine now. Mm-hmm. And then these lines aren't perfect, but you get the gist of yeah, what I'm yeah, trying yeah, to say. Yeah. Dumbledore says something like, you're wrong, Tom. Harry's more powerful than you know. Foreshadowing the prophecy we're about to learn about. Mm-hmm. Harry has power, you know not. Mm-hmm. He'll, never give in to, he'll never give in to you, not while his friends are still fighting for him. Mm-hmm. And then we, the audience, and Harry Mort sees Lupin physically holding back Ron and Hermione, mirroring the scene that just happened where yeah. Lupin's physically holding back Harry from rushing off to Sirius. Mm-hmm. And then we get uh, that Stranger Things montage of all the key friendship moments of Harry, Ron, Hermione, yeah. and I would throw in moments with the Weasleys, Ginny, Ginny Neville, Luna, yeah, the yeah. DA, Sirius, yeah. and Lupin. Yeah. Harry is so loved. His greatest power is love. We see his eyes go back to normal. He kicks Voldemort out of his brain. I don't know how to do that visually, but something dramatic. Mm-hmm. And maybe he gets a line here, but honestly, I don't think he needs one. And then, like, get fucked, Voldemort. Yeah, get fucked. 
<laughs> We've seen it, like, it's all happened visually. Yeah. Then Fudd shows up, he sees Voldemort just before he flees in disgrace. That's how I would do the scene. Yeah, already ten times better. Great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> A round hey. of applause for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Missed opportunities. I forgot that's what this section was. I'm like, wait a minute, my list doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, the next missed opportunity. Leaving out so much of Voldemort's backstory in the fi- in the sixth movie. Of course, yeah. Again, I understand why I got cut, because they wanted to focus on those teenagers fucking. Yeah. (laughs) We could have had so many good flashbacks. Imagine flashing back to see all the gaunt stuff and, like, all the parcel tongue and the rope and all that. Mm -hmm. And even, like, we could have managed to squeeze in a regular black flashback here. If, like, we can't put it in the seventh movie, put it in this one. Like, they get the R.I.B. note at the end and maybe piece it together even earlier. And then we get a flashback Mm -hmm. of Regulus or whatever. Like, that would have been interesting. (sighs) <sighs> this is what I was going to say. I don't need all of the Voldemort scenes exactly the way they are in the book. No. I would, in fact, change them. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how, but, like, a lot of shit has to happen in the seventh movie. Yeah. I would set it up here. Yes. Like, I would. I want to see Hufflepuff's Cup and Gringotts and, like, all of that shit so that when the connections are drawn in the seventh movie, I'm like, oh, I've already seen those things in the sixth movie. Yeah, yeah. I know what change to expect. It up. Because, like, yes. we have no idea about the diet and we have no idea about the cop. We have no idea about any of that shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> Until the seventh movie. Like, Voldemort in school researching those things or something. Just give me something. Anything. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I don't yeah. know. He goes to a museum and sees them all or something. That doesn't make any sense. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They, in the seventh movie, they literally have, like, a Harry has a magic Horcrux sensing ability because there's not enough time to actually explain what's going on. Sixth movie. Yeah. That's when you explain what's going on. <laughs> They just wasted all that time for teenagers fucking around. Yeah. I hate it so much. And it's also important because this really gives us the opportunity for Harry to parallel himself and Voldemort. So, like, give us yeah. more things that show us that Voldemort and Harry have so many similarities. And then maybe Harry could end up like Voldemort. Like, you know what? do it. Yeah. Write the story. <laughs> just do it better. Do it better. <laughs> Take a big puff of my cigar. <laughs> Stub it out on one of the writer's necks. Like, fix it. <laughs> <laughs> just put out the ashes on the shitty script yeah it's like nah change it all okay now i've i'm gonna i don't have a full scene for it but there's two <laughs> things that i think really should have happened at the beginning of deathly hallows okay something to show us dudley's character growth yeah that would have been good that was cut that scene did exist it was cut they yeah. did film it but it was cut i understand yeah. why we don't have time to constantly waste checking back in with the Dursleys. And, like, honestly, the books barely waste time with this in the mm-hmm. later books. But I think it is very important at the beginning of Deathly Hallows to show us that kids raised in bad environments can grow and change and decide yeah. to be better. We need Dudley as a contrast to Voldemort, Snape, and Draco mm-hmm. Malfoy. Mm-hmm. I agree. All of whom play such important roles in Deathly Hallows. And not only that, but it does show that, like, the people around Harry and the the way that he interacts with these people has an impact. Like, it shows Harry's connection to his community and his friends. Like, even though Harry and Dudley Mm -hmm. have had a strained relationship all their life and an abusive relationship, like, Dudley still sees the humanity in Harry and Harry can see the humanity in Dudley now because Dudley's changing. That's good. Like, (laughs) yeah. I like, you know, they started off as enemies basically in movie one and now they're parting as like yeah. equals. They're on good or terms. friends even maybe. Yeah. They're on good terms. Yeah. I think that's a really important moment. And then also what I want to add into this scene, this one scene with Harry and the Dursleys is Petunia. Mm-hmm. 
She has a line in Deathly Hallows about losing her sister and like, I know what these people are capable of. That's great. But I want to draw that out a little bit more because in Philosopher's Stone, Petunia goes off and gives us that incredible monologue about her sister. Yeah. Yeah. And like, bring it back, baby. I want that book ended. Yeah. In the last movie, give us something about like, you know, she hated her sister and resented her and has been stuck with her. And I see her and also she loved her sister. Yeah. 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 She loved her sister and grieved her sister and lost her sister. And now she might have to spend all these years with Harry and is doing, it's all happening. She might have to, and she blames the wizarding world for this. Exactly. And she's right. (laughs) Give us that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, this, a two minute scene with the Dursleys here could have given us so, Mm -hmm. so much. That was a missed opportunity. Okay. This is my final missed opportunity. Deathly Hallows, the destroying of the Elder Wand. Should have fixed his own wand. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. Okay. Also, quick thing. Ending of the sixth movie, when when Harry, Ron, and Hermione are doing their little fucking conversation at the castle or whatever the fuck. That should have happened as we saw Dumbledore being entombed on that island. Just to establish that that's where his tomb is and it's on Hogwarts ground somewhere. Because we don't know that until Voldemort decides to hover over there and weirdly Mm -hmm. unearth Dumbledore's body at the whole thing in the seventh movie. Whatever. It should have happened at the end of sixth movie. We don't need the whole funeral, but just see it happening. Okay. So, the destroying of the Elder Wand. Here's how this scene should go. Harry, Ron, and Hermione leave Hogwarts Castle. They go to that little Mm -hmm. island with Dumbledore's grave. Harry repairs his wand. He can say the lines that he's saying in the movie, whatever, I yeah, don't yeah, have time yeah. to rewrite the dialogue. But he puts he puts the Elder Wand back inside of Dumbledore's broken tomb. Then he repairs the tombstone with his own wand. Then your final shot before the epilogue is the trio walking back towards mm-hmm. the destroyed Hogwarts. So literally what's happening is they are laying mm-hmm. to rest all of the conflict and power-hungry evil that's dominated their childhoods closing off the past and now they are moving forward into the future rebuilding it rebuilding it and then we flash forward 19 years and we see the happy ending that resulted from all their hardship and sacrifice Mm -hmm. that's your closing scene of the main part of the movie then we have the epilogue Mm -hmm. yeah that's great there i fixed it (laughs) (laughs) that's great i i do really love when he snapped the wand in half though if we could incorporate that in the scene like oh, he yeah. snaps the wand pieces in half and then buries the pieces with Dumbledore, I think is good enough. I think Dumbledore would not mind that. Mm-hmm. So maybe someone could even say like, oh, Ron, Ron could say like, oh, do you think Dumbledore would mind you burying him with a broken wand? And Harry's like, nah, I think he would think it's a good move or something like that. Yeah. I yeah. think he'd be proud of me for breaking the <laughs> wand. I think he would be proud of me for doing what he couldn't. Yeah. That's a good line. Yeah. Great. Perfect. We're done. Perfect. We, we, <laughs> we did it. We put out our cigars and dust our hands, <laughs> collect our piles of money. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now to make some merchandise. <laughs> okay. All right. Do we see why the page to screen miniseries thing could have been like years worth of episodes? Yeah, this is an hour and 20 already. Yeah. We skipped over and like there's so much stuff that didn't make it into this. This was just the big points. <laughs> well, I had a great time making these movies with you. I think they're going to be good ones. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to collect all our money. And then one day, a theme park. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've been Jem, writer, producer, and director of the Harry Potter films. I've been Rhea, honestly, star actress. Cast me as Emma Watson, (laughs) as Hermione Granger, I mean. You can pretty me up in a Cinderella scene. That's going to work a lot better because I'm horrible, disgusting, repulsive to look upon. (laughs) Wow. 
What a note to end it on. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us or get in touch, the links to our social media and Patreon are in the show notes. Please feel free to send us so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.